Thank you, Billy. Thank you. Well, that was such a beautiful, wonderful time of worship, and the last song uh, said more than many, many sermons, didn't it? How great is this God? We know him to be great, or we wouldn't be here gathered in his name. We're different as you look around, good, healthy diversity, but the common denominator is this uh, fascination, this uh, affinity, this attraction to this God who is so great. Let's talk about him for a little bit. Let's you talk about him for a little bit, uh, because I'm not prepared. No, uh, uh, no. Uh, yeah. you move from Baton Rouge to Houston in two days, see how you're doing. Uh, actually, we're doing uh, reasonably fine. Uh, I've only had to... Uh, uh, hit my wife three times during the journey, <laughs> the other way around. Um, and we're blessed, as I mentioned earlier, to be here with God's people. So God's people, I wonder if you would turn to somebody you're seated next to, or uh, change your seat if you don't like that <laughs> person, and would you just share, take some time, share uh, a thought each of you, uh, about God. What do you know about God? That's all. Uh, It could be complicated. It could be simple. It could be obvious. It could be a little uh, nebulous. Uh, Just have a little exchange. Take turns. This is what God is like. Tell Tell your partner. All right, thank you for, for doing that. Uh, but let me ask you a question. Who do you think you are? Uh, talking about God this way as if you really know what he's like. How do you know that what you know about God is accurate? How do you know that what you just... Brenda, um, this is not a, a participatory thing. <laughs> So, you know, uh, one of my friends in Baton Rouge says, Stuart, you know, when you go back to a place, it's never the same. Oh, yes, it is. (laughs) I mean, you might have just shared something with your partner that really is a misrepresentation of God. How could you be so certain that what you shared is accurate? I mean, folks, here's my point. If God did not reveal himself to us, we would be left with sheer and utter speculation. What we would have just had is a share your ignorance time. And um, maybe we did. I don't know. I mean, I, 
I mean, God is, he's the great I am. But what if the great I am said, though I am, I am not accessible to you. He could easily have done that. He could have said, I exist, but I'm not going to share myself with you. I'm not going to reveal my divine attributes to you. You'll have to speculate and guess about my character and my will for your life and all. Can you imagine what chaos would ensue if that was the case? We'd have no common ground. There would be no tie that could bind us together. The songs we just sang would have been all for naught. So this is a fundamental, ah, and I like the word fundamental. Now, I know the word uh, has um, fallen into some disrepute in recent years, but I am just thrilled to tell you I'm an obnoxious and proud fundamentalist. <laughs> and, um, and, and the reason is the fundamentals of our faith, that's the bedrock in the midst of all the, this change. People come and go. People up and leave. People find their way back. People dye their hair. I could hardly recognize them. Many of you. <laughs> and I need your formula. <laughs> this changes. That's the way it is. But there are certain fundamentals that are not sub... They're non-negotiables. They're the bedrock. And I'm so grateful to Marty and Donna for providing this marvelous visual for us today. Our lives, our, our very being is built on this bedrock. The fundamentals like the cross on which the Lord Jesus died. This symbol is a stark reminder to us of the desperate nature of our sin and also the intense love of God for us. This is uh, everything to us. These rocks represent the fundamentals of our faith, what we believe about God and his word and about salvation and things to come. And don't you see, all of these beliefs would be mere speculation if God didn't reveal them to us. And this, thank God, he did. He's the God who wants us to have a connection and a sense of community and belongingness to him. And so God has chosen to reveal himself to us. So here's what I would like to do tonight. Begin a series called The Foundations. What are the foundations of our faith? Now, we'll not uh, continue uh, next week, but in weeks to come, this is the kind of thing you can kind of get in and get out of. And when I thought about the foundations, I thought the starting point has to be the Bible. Even before we start with Almighty God, we have to start with the revelation of God in the Bible because today everyone has a notion of who God is. Did you know it's a very spiritual day in which we live? That's not an entirely good thing, however. Lots of counterfeit spirituality out there. Lots of distorted notion about God. So, so what I'd like for us to do tonight is begin this series 
uh, on the foundations by uh, beginning to examine the nature of the Bible. And this will take us a lot of time in uh, subsequent sessions. We'll talk about the canonicity of the scriptures, a word which sort of means the measure by which we determine what actually are the books that belong in the Bible and which are ones that don't belong in the Bible. We'll talk about, have you heard of these words, inerrancy? We argue today, people, about the... In other words, are there errors in the Bible? What about inspiration? We talk about the Bible being inspired by God. What does that mean? What about translations? How many people here have the King James Bible? Would you raise your hand? Wonderful. Uh, all of these are wonderful. How many have the New American Standard? You see? How many the New, New International Version? Anyone using the Living Bible? Very fine. How about, does anyone have the English Standard Version? Oh, yeah, good. It's kind of a new so how about revised standard version, any revised standard? And on and on and on. Well, which is the best translation? How did we get them? How do you know you have an accurate translation of the Bible? What about the Apocrypha? I'll bet there aren't many here tonight whose Bibles, some, but not many whose Bibles contain the Apocrypha. Uh, Catholic people have a Bible containing the Old Testament and the New Testament and, and some books called the Apocrypha. We'll talk about that because you may think you got gypped if you don't have those in your Bible. You've got a discount Bible. Why don't you have the full? Anyway, we'll talk about those kinds of things. But tonight, let's talk about how God, first off, has revealed himself. He's done it in two ways. One, generally to all people. So that's called general revelation. The song that Bill so wonderfully led us in, O Lord my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all... How does it go? Consider all... You're speaking in tongues? (laughs) Things have changed? When I consider what you have made, it moves me to praise you as the essence of the song. Do you know that's general, general revelation? In other words, God, because he's so good, has seen fit to make himself known to people who do not possess a Bible. Sadly, not everyone has a Bible. If I were to ask you how many translations of the Bible you have access to, uh, it would be three or four or or maybe more. Who, Who knows how many? Uh, I have many, and you have many, and we're very privileged and blessed people. But there are whole people groups, isn't it sad, still yet in the world, in whose tongue the word of God has not yet been translated. Uh, So what what about those people? Are they destined to eternal separation from God if they cannot uh, have access to him? So he has made himself accessible in general Revelation, and the Bible actually speaks about that in many places. Here's one, Psalm 19, verse 1. The heavens are telling of the glory of God, and their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. Look, it doesn't require much faith to see some of the things out there in the natural world that the Creator has 
fashioned. It takes your breath away. How many of you have been to the Grand Canyon? I've never been to the Grand Canyon, but I hear it's absolutely magnificent. But even closer to home, from good old Pearland, Texas, we saw the night sky the other night in good old Pearland, and it was magnificent. The spray of uh, 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 red hue and uh, blue and stars, and it, it, it forces you to, to sort of go small in the presence of the immensity of the God behind this. He spoke it into existence and then said, Ah, it is very good. It is very good, the things that God has made. And you, you go from those things, even without a Bible, you go from those things and you say, wow, uh, there's a difference between the Creator. By the way, so your phones are still going off? <laughs> I'm just trying. And that guy said, it won't be the same. Oh, yeah, it is. I mean, the rings... The rings are a little different. They're, they're, they're much louder and, uh, and uh, so on. So, I mean, that's, that's, that's okay. You know, my first, uh, uh, it was the Struma Baptist Church in Baton Rouge. They had the privilege of serving. And the first uh, deacons meeting, I was asked to, to speak. And so I was a little nervous. And great deacons, just as here. And um, my phone went off in the middle of the deal. And I had... I had Hava Nagila on it. So, you know, I'm trying to relate to the culture. I'm, you know, the Jewish guy shows up in Baton Rouge, and, and I'm trying to relate, so, so my Hebrew thing went off. So, but that only happened to me once. You get the message, yeah. General revelation. It didn't happen. The beauty of the earth by accident, things coming together in the oceans some billions of years ago. First of all, the earth is younger than that. Don't buy that evolutionary stuff. Uh, it, it takes a lot of faith to believe in that. <laughs> it, it's, uh, it didn't just happen, you know, some random and, oh, come on, give me a break. There's a creator and... You ain't him, and I'm not him, so we bow before him. And what he's made tells us what he's like. We see this in Romans, again, Romans chapter 1, verse 20. For since the creation of the world, this is a key verse, Romans 1, 20. His invisible attributes. See, that's my point. When you shared what you know about God, how do you know? His attributes. His distinctive characteristics are invisible. His invisible attributes, his eternal power. We, we have only a vague concept of eternity. He is eternal. His eternal power and his divine nature, three things, have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. So the person far off who does not have access, as we do, to the Bible, that person is without excuse because that person still has the benefit of general revelation, his divine attributes, his invisible characteristics, his eternal power. If you look to the world, 
that we inhabit. It once was formless and void. Now it is filled to overflowing with all that we need to be sustained. And we didn't have a thing to do with it. And every once in a while, God will allow Katrina to remind us we're not in control of the elements and the atmosphere, which he spoke into existence. When it thunders, we think of God's eternal power and divine attributes. And when after weeks of drought... The skies open up and beautiful rain comes down to sustain our crops and give us food to eat and all the rest. You learn something otherwise hidden and unknown. This is a revelatory God saying, I'm not in the shadows I wish to be known and I've made it possible for everyone to know me even apart from the Bible. Now, don't misquote me just yet. Let me, let me fill in. Uh, complete the statement. But right now, I've just mentioned to you general revelation. But there's a second category. And if it's not general revelation, if it's more specific, what would that be called? Special revelation. And here it is. This is special revelation. And this, unfortunately, is not yet available to all people to whom general revelation is available. This Bible, uh, yours, this is not available to everyone. It's special revelation, and it contains in written form the story of redemption uh, and an exposition of the character of God, an introduction into the person of Jesus Christ, who is the king over all. See, we find out about him here. So how does the person who's only exposed to general revelation ever get exposed to special revelation? Folks, look around. That's our mandate. The Great Commission is to make special revelation to those who otherwise would only have access to general revelation. Thank God for your mission's thrust. No, thank God for our, I have to remember this now, I'm back. Thank God for our mission's thrust. There's no better use of time and energy. And thank God that you don't just send money, which is so very important. You go, you take the gospel across the street and to foreign lands where the name of Jesus has not yet been named. That's the great commission. Replace general, mere general revelation, as wonderful as it is, with special revelation about the Lord Jesus Christ. You hear stories, have you not? Where someone in uh, good old America, a normal kind of a person, ordinary in all respects, somehow gets this inexplicable burden to go on one of the missions trips, Sagemont Church sponsors. This person has never gone on a missions trip, has never seen himself or herself as having really anything to offer, feels inadequate and ill-equipped, but something stirs them up. They've never been so stirred. It's a trip to, oh, let's say, India. And they don't know what it is. There have been opportunities to go to other foreign lands, but somehow India, I don't, they don't know what, they never met a person from India, they don't speak the language, and they don't like curry, but still something gets them inside, well, that's not something, it's someone, that's what the Holy Spirit does, 
And so the Holy Spirit moves that person to grow, at per, uh, at go at personal sacrifice, signs up with fear and trepidation uh, to the mission strip, gets on the plane and goes and ends up in a small remote village in India, not exactly knowing what to do. And then one of the native Indians says, why are you here? And this person sheepishly says, well, I, I've come to tell you about Jesus Christ. And that person feels so inadequate and so awkward that just doesn't seem like enough. And then the recipient of the message says, so that is his name. I've been wondering, what is the name of this deity who has created all that I see? The waters and the mountains and the skies. What is the name of this one who has provided for us so graciously? What is the name of this one who has demonstrated his mighty and awesome power? Jesus is the greatest name of all. So can you see how now general revelation is replaced with special revelation? Why doesn't this happen all the time? Why is it just one person in that remote village in India? Well, here's the principle. God won't give a person more revelation than they're willing to submit to. Do you want to know more of God? Then yield to what you already know. It's the way it is. He doesn't keep pouring into us <laughs> when we're not hungry for it. When there's a thirst for more revelation, you get more revelation. If not, why would God waste it? So that's why this little story I share with you is it's not all that typical and doesn't happen all that much because sadly not everyone is interested in crying out to this God and saying, what is your name? I wish to know you. What is your desire for me? What shall I do? When a person manifests that kind of heart, oh my, God can move someone from Des Moines, Iowa, or, or uh, Alvin, Texas, <laughs> all the way over there to name the name of Jesus. So general revelation could give way to special revelation. So we have special revelation. And so to whom much is given, much is required. We must contribute to Great Commission activity. We must. So uh, God has given us this particular book, the Bible. And that's why you knew with such confidence when you shared with one another things about God that you were right. Because I like to think... You got it here from special revelation, not from speculation, not from I think, I feel. You think and feel all you want, but it doesn't matter. This matters. So uh, the Lord gave us um, this one book containing... Now let's go back to early Sunday school, years and years ago. How many books in this one book? Yes, 66. So... Um, how many major sections in this one book? Yeah, two. And uh, what are they called? Old Testament, New Testament. Okay, it gets a little harder. How many books are in the Old Testament? Yeah, 30. See, you're dropping like flies. <laughs> we need a few second graders in here. 
They get stamps for the right answer. How many books in the New Testament? Yeah, 27. So, so, so here is the Bible. Now, the first five books. Now, for this, we'll make, I'll tell you what. Let's make it an open book kind of a test. So, so can you turn to the table of contents in your Bible? So our text for the evening is the table of contents in the Bible. It is a very useful tool that you should not hesitate to make use of. So take a look at your table of contents. It's right in the front. Everyone should have one of those. Now, I know this is a little simplistic, but maybe not. I must tell you, in the time in which we last saw you, but for this, we would not have been sustained. So... So this is important. <laughs> this, this is vital. This is, this is absolutely indispensable right here. So, so you have your table of contents. Now the first five books, okay, maybe not open book. Can you, can you tell me the first five books without looking? Here you go ahead. Yeah, good. First five books. So what are they called, the first five books? Whoa. Whoever said the Torah should be right up there <laughs> in the expensive seats. So, so some of you said Pentateuch. Some of you said Torah. Which is it? Yeah, it's both. So which of those two words is Hebrew? Torah. What does Torah mean? Uh, it, means it means the teaching or law. And Pentateuch, what, is the, what language is that? I mean, it's English, but it comes from what language? Yeah, it's Greek. It's Greek. Pentateuch and... Uh, What's another word that sounds like Pentateuch? You like Pentagon? So five, right? So Pentateuch, first five books of the Old Testament. What's another word for testament? Covenant. Uh, Have you taken the precept covenant class yet? You should. There's room. I'm telling you. It will give you a handle on the Old and New Covenant like you've never had. It'll explain to you Abrahamic Covenant versus Davidic Covenant and Noahic Covenant and Mosaic Covenant. For instance, misunderstanding of the covenants will get you into big trouble. There's a very, very well-known Christian writer. And since I've seen you, I've really grown up. So I don't name names quite as much. I'm boring now. <laughs> but if I named this person's name, you would know this person. It is a very fine Christian, just off base, in my opinion, with regard to God's role for Israel today. So this person believes that Israel has been replaced. Now, this is very, very dangerous, and um, we'll have opportunity to get into it lots but in days ahead. But... But, but, he, but here's why this person is confused. They're confusing covenants. And they're confusing the Abrahamic covenant, this person is, with the Mosaic covenant. The Abrahamic covenant is an unconditional covenant made on God's initiative with Israel. You know what Israel is required to do under the Abrahamic covenant? Nothing. Unconditional, unilateral covenant ratified 
again and again by God. It's a promise of land. That's why evangelical Christians better support Israel's right to the land based on not Israel's worthiness. I didn't say that. Based on Abrahamic covenant. But there's a Mosaic covenant through Moses. And that essentially says, obey and be blessed. Disobey and forfeit blessing. So though Israel has given the title deed to the land unconditionally in the Abrahamic covenant, the unbridled enjoyment of the land is very much a function of obedience. And since they're stiff-necked and disobedient, they're not enjoying their time in the land right now, are they? Folks, it's like us. We're in under the new covenant. Thank God. What did you do to be under the new covenant? Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me. So we enter into the new covenant by God's unilateral gracious provision, but the enjoyment of new covenant blessing is very much a function of obedience. A disobedient Christian is not enjoying the new covenant privileges at all, are they? So can you see how a study of the covenants is very important? Let me just beseech you, sign up for the covenant class. You literally will not be the same. I don't know when it's being taught or anything, and I don't get any commission for saying that. <laughs> I'm just telling you, to give you a handle on the Bible, you won't fall into error about the covenants. So another word for testament is covenant. And a covenant is a, the nature of a relationship between two parties. Old covenant defines a relationship with God and Israel, and new covenant defines a relationship with God and Anyone who comes by faith to the foot of the cross. So you have these two covenants. First five books, Pentateuch or Torah, law. Law of whom? Law of God, yes. And yet the Pentateuch or Torah is also referred to as the law of Moses. Why is it referred to as the law of Moses? Because he is the author. Are you sure? You ought to be. Internal evidence, external evidence supports Mosaic authorship. So Moses is the author of the first five books, which are called the Pentateuch or the Torah. And, and these books were probably written about 1,500 years before the Lord Jesus became enfleshed. So if he became incarnate in flesh, notice I didn't say born. I'm a little reluctant to use the term because... He wasn't born in, in the sense that he had no existence before then. He's pre-existent. God has no beginning nor any end. He just became enfleshed. So he became enfleshed about 2,000 years ago. So if the law of Moses was written 1,500 years before that, when you read in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, or Deuteronomy, this is fascinating. You hold it on your lap freely. Thank God still in this country we could read that. You're reading literature 3,500 years old. And God preserved it. Special revelation for you because he wants you to have a special knowledge of him. He doesn't want you to have to guess and speculate. He wants to spell it out, what he's like and what your role is in life and what his purpose is for you and how he loves you and all the rest. 3,500 years. So those are the first five books. Got to pick up the pace a little bit. And then after that, you have a group of books called the historical books. And it begins right there with Joshua. I'll tell you what. Let's read it together and then I'll tell you when to stop 
and then you'll have the historical books. Are you ready? Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, 1 Kings, 2 Kings, 1 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, stop. Those are the historical books. How many? Count them up. You should, you should have 12, unless you have the Amplified or something. So you, have, so you have five books, Law of Moses. Then you have 12 books, the historical books, primarily telling us the history of Israel. Is God only about Israel? Oh, no. But God teaches us so many things in his relationship and connection to Israel. So the historical books are primarily about God's dealings with Israel and by application with all of us, and they primarily take place in what part of the world, those historical books, primarily? Middle East, Canaan, have you? Canaan, it would be the Old Testament term, and then when you get to the New Testament, the land of Canaan is called, starts with I? Israel, yeah, there you go. Is it ever called um, uh, Palestine? Okay, just want to check it out. Never been a country, never been a people group, never been a language. Palestine comes from Philistines. The Romans assigned that name uh, to humiliate Israel. So... Uh, don't misunderstand. We must pray for the salvation of all people, including needy Palestinian people. Absolutely. Our, our, our politics are different. <laughs> our citizenship is in heaven. But there is no special people group called Palestinians. They're Arab peoples, as, as worthy and, and as significant and important as any of us. But they're Arab peoples, primarily Jordanian. So this whole notion about a Palestinian state is nonsense. Never been. All of a sudden, it's supposed to be. It makes no sense whatsoever. The land is called Canaan in the Old Testament. Israel in the New Testament. And the historical books uh, talk about that. Then the next book, uh, group of books are called Poetry and Wisdom Literature. And this section begins with these books, Job, and then continues Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon. Those are the poetic or wisdom literature. You know, when we say wisdom, that doesn't mean getting smart. We were in a university town, Baton Rouge, uh, home of the LSU Tigers. Two or three Tiger fans here. And wonderful faculty, a number of them uh, attended the church we were in. Very uh, intelligent, professorial kinds of people. But Hebrew wisdom literature has nothing to do with IQ or education. Uh, the word is chokhmah, chokhmah. Let's say that one too. <laughs> you, know, we got it. you ready? Here we go, one, two, three. Chokhmah. Boy, a, a lady sneezed and actually she got it right. Uh, over there, it's an accurate. Chokhmah means, uh, means skill in living. That's the Hebrew concept of wisdom. What good is it if you're smart? And uh, don't live life skillfully. What good is it if you have a PhD but can't balance your checkbook? So chokhmah is, is skill in living. So the book of Proverbs, for instance, when you read it, isn't it good? It's so, it's so simple, so applicable, so 
so wonderful principles of child rearing, of money management, of communication in a marriage and all the rest to help us live better in life. So those are poetical, poetic and, his, and uh, wisdom literature there. And those are written probably a thousand years before the uh, incarnation of the Lord Jesus. Except the book of Job. It is thought by many, and I'm one, that its authorship is much, much earlier, maybe during the time of Abraham even. Then the rest of the Old Testament is made up of a group of people called the, yeah, the prophets. And amongst the prophets, there's two categories. If one group is called the major prophets, what's the second group called? You got it. So take a look at the major prophets. They're listed there. Here they are. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, and Daniel, major prophets uh, as uh, uh, in, in uh, contrast with minor prophets. Does major prophets mean they're more important than the minor prophets? Then what does it mean? Yeah, it just means they're shorter. You didn't have to look at me, Charles, when you said that. Really, very offended by that. Major prophets, it simply, the message of major and minor is quite significant, but the major prophets, it simply means volume. And so they are... Uh, followed by the minor prophets. And let's pronounce all of these together, if you don't mind, beginning with, here we go, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. How many? Yeah, got about 12 of those. So if you total it up, you have the books of the Old Covenant. And they're very important. And then God has given us in special revelation the new covenant. But before the old covenant, the new covenant, how much time went by? 400 years. Called the silent years because God was not inspiring writing prophets during this intertestamental period. Why? I don't know exactly. Except later in the New Testament we find out that Of course, God's timing in sending the Messiah is always right. So things had to happen. For one thing, Israel was in terrible shape and their messianic hunger during the intertestamental period was really, really growing. They had a messianic, a growing messianic expectation and so the setting was right in many respects for the Lord Jesus then to come. So then we get into the New Testament, and it begins with four books called the, uh, for the, uh, called the Gospels. And who wrote those? And there's a lot of contradiction between their accounts, is there not? A lot of errors. No, no, you got the right answer, absolutely. Yeah, I don't understand why we get this right about William Shakespeare, but miss it about the Bible. Good night. You have four people who are looking to the same issue. The birth, the life, the death, the resurrection, the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they are revealing to us different facets based upon their perspective so that when you put together the four Gospels, you have such a full picture of the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look, from your vantage point, if I were to ask you to describe me, those in this section, you have a perspective. Those in this section have a different perspective. If someone was back here, they'd have an entirely not too attractive perspective. But 
So it's not a contradiction. You see, this is, remember, the God who wants to reveal himself to us, and so he is elected and inspired for to write his story from their unique perspective. And their biographies of the Lord Jesus Christ were intended for different audiences, weren't they? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were writing not only from different perspectives, but for different intended audiences. When you read the Bible, it's a good idea if you have a Bible reading plan to spread out the Gospels equally during the year. If you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, then you won't get any of the Gospels till the next year. So I, I like to maybe read Matthew, then maybe skip to Romans or something like that, read some more. Then you can come back and pick up Mark a little bit later on, just so that you could always, always, always have a balanced approach to the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, so that's the four Gospels in the New Testament. And then after the Gospels comes the... What, how's it listed in your table of contents? Uh, the early church, and, and then the book is... Acts, does it say anything else? Yeah, the Acts of the Apostles. Does it say that in anyone's Bible, does it say the teaching of the apostles? No one has that? Does it say the doctrine of the apostles? It says the Acts of the Apostles, right? Therefore, be very careful about developing your whole doctrine from the book of Acts. If a doctrinal perspective, and there are those for sure in the book of Acts, is not consistent with doctrine in other books of the Bible, you should not practice it. We will, Lord willing, get down the road, talk about the Holy Spirit, and we'll talk about interesting things like the baptism of the Holy Spirit and tongues, speaking in tongues. Why, I, mean, I mean, why not address the subject and let's, let's just see. I mean, are we missing the boat if we're not speaking in tongues? I mean, let's find out. Let's find out. So, so, so those people, in my opinion, who get off into things maybe in error are failing to see that this book is called the Acts of the Apostles and not the Teaching of the Apostles. The Teaching of the Apostles are in the books which follow the Acts of the Apostles and those are called the, starts with the Epistles or Letters. So when you want to get your doctrine, you want, you want to go primarily to the Epistles of the Apostles. <laughs> Wow, could I get in trouble mispronouncing that, rather than the Acts of the Apostles. Now, the book of Acts, don't think I've minimized it. Oh, no, I taught through it for three years in the other church, and then they fired me, and I had to, because I didn't get through it. And, and, but here, folks, it's hugely important. It's the transition book between Old Covenant and New Covenant. How do we get from Sabbath to Lord's Day? Book of Acts will tell us how. Do you think the Jews voluntarily gave up Sabbath worship for Sunday worship? Do you think they say, yeah, cool, we'll golf on Saturday? No big thing? Oh, no. So the book of Acts talks to us about the resurrection of this Messiah, Jesus, and the effect that he had. So it's a transitional book, transition. Once you make the transition, you don't go back to the practices in the book of Acts. If you do, you have to practice them all. And nobody does. Okay, so then you have the Acts of the apostle, Apostles. And after that, you have the epistles or letters. And they are uh, Romans and First and Second Corinthians and Galatians and Ephesians and Philippians and Colossians and First and Second Thessalonians and First and Second Timothy and Titus and Philemon. And what do all those books have in common? Paul. 
Every time I think of Paul, I think you and I have a chance. <laughs> Chiefest of all sinners, that was his own claim, and he was. <gasps> and God got a hold of him and gospelized him, good-newsed him, and now he's the author of how many, how many letters? See what you come up with. From uh, Romans to Philemon, how many you got? Thirteen. How about Hebrews? Seek, bring a good point. Maybe even Hebrews. The authorship of Hebrews is, uh, is questionable. We don't know. Paul, possibly. Maybe not. But for sure, 13 of these epistles. And then after those, there are seven others in the New Testament written by other writers. And those are referred to as the general epistles. They include James, First and Second Peter, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and Jude. Written, all these things written for the, for the same reason, and that is, think about it, to encourage and build up local churches. Let's be honest. Sometimes we don't want much to do with the local church. Let's face it. Sometimes ministers, pastors don't, because they're, they're human too, the last time I checked. Sometimes it just gets to be burdensome to hang out together. Sometimes we're unkind to one another. Sometimes we're insensitive. I mean, sometimes it's just a burden (laughs) to be part of the local church. Well, when, not if, when you feel that way, remember the epistles, Paul's seven (laughs) or 13, and the other seven or eight. And look at all the literature that God has invested in the local church. And that helps me to stay invested in the local church. I hope it helps you. It's the best idea the world has ever seen, the local church. When we were in uh, Louisiana, um, thank God for the government agencies with whom we worked, Red Cross, FEMA, others. Uh, we needed everybody. But uh, the sociology department at LSU took a poll of needy people in our area, and they said, what agencies do you think made the most valuable contribution? And the vast majority of the people, they did not say FEMA. They did not say the Red Cross. They did not say the local, state, or federal government. They said the churches, the churches, the churches. The church is the best idea. The world just doesn't realize what a good thing it has. What about us? Do we realize what a good thing we have? Yeah, nothing like the church. Nothing like Deserves our best because God gives it his best. He's the head of the church. So just when you're tempted to bail out and do your own thing, you know, I could be a Christian and not go to church. Ah, come on. He saved us to be together, even at times when we don't want to be together. <laughs> Too bad. <laughs> We're in this together. This is the way it is. And then you have the last book of the Bible, and it is called? Revelation. Wow, I think it did pretty good. It, in your table of contents, is there an S at the end of the word revelation? Okay, so let's make a deal. Anytime you hear someone around here say revelations, um, go, go like this. Oh. 
It'll really make him feel good. You see, see, it, it may look like a fine point, but it isn't. Who received the revelation? And where was John? Anyone ever visited Patmos in the Aegean Sea, Greek island? It's a real place. We're not reading fables here, folks. It exists. John received in, an, in a vision the revelation. He did not get it in pieces and in installments. So we don't call it revelations. We call it the revelation of John. And it's so good because it tells us how things work out. One of the fundamentals, dear folks, is special revelation. We must never compromise it. We have to always submit to it. This church bases its looks to authority from this. It doesn't look to authority from this plus church tradition. No. It doesn't look to this plus votes. <laughs> we don't put this to a vote. We take our marching orders from this. Sad it has to be emphasized, but I'm telling you, it's being diluted, it's being forgotten, it's being minimized, it's being left out of the equation. And when you leave special revelation out of the equation, you have nothing but speculation about God. So, so this is one of the fundamentals, one of the foundations on which we rest. And the other one is uh, what the book of Revelation tells us, victory in Jesus. And my dear friends, you and I won't make it another day unless we know in advance how things are going to work out. We're subject to disease and it hurts. We lose loved ones and it hurts. We lose jobs. Sometimes there's divorcement. Sometimes there's abuse, abandonment, different things. Sometimes there's war. We wouldn't get out of bed in the morning. We'd just pull the covers over us and want it all to go away without the book of Revelation that tells us, though it's, it's hard to understand all of it, it's not hard to understand most of it. And fundamentally, foundationally, the book of Revelation says he's got the whole world in his hands. The book of Revelation says this, this God who has revealed himself has revealed himself both to be sovereign and good. Take it easy. It's not the Houston Chronicle that tells us what's going on. This tells us what's going on. Somehow the Houston Chronicle misses a quarter of a million people showing up for City Fest. But God doesn't miss ultimate matters. So there's victory in Jesus. Now let me encourage you. Read special revelation. <laughs> Not everyone has it. Read it. Don't get bogged down with what you don't understand. Yield to what you do understand. Yieldedness to what you do understand begets more understanding. Read it. Read it. Read it. Read it again. Read it slowly. There's no superfluous material. There's no fat in it. Every word matters. Have you read through the Bible? Oh, you're missing out on some. Listen, Jeremiah, thy words 
were found, and I ate them. And thy words became for me. Wasn't always to him. Thy words became for me a joy and the delight of my heart. For I have been called by thy name, O Lord, God of hosts. Eat, and you'll develop more and more of a taste for spiritual food. You'll be nourished and you'll be healthy. You won't have to wait for Sunday to get fed, although thank God for the wonderful feeding here. But you can feed yourself every single day. And when you get to the last book, don't worry about, I don't know how the bowls fit in with the seals, fit in with the, I don't either. I mean, I don't, I don't get it all. I just know victory in Jesus. Folks, let's stand that. Do you know the words? Let's stand and sing that. You know that one? Let's sing victory in Jesus, then we'll take leave of one another. Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me and bought me with his redeeming blood. He loved me ere I knew him, and all my love is due. He plunged me to victory beneath the cleansing flood. Lord Jesus, there is victory in relationship with you. So what if one or more here don't have that? You've done it all, revealed the way. I pray, oh God, you would in the power of your Holy Spirit so impress the sense of distance and separation upon that person that that one would realize tonight how needy they are to come over the bridge. It's the cross of Jesus Christ in order to have access to you, Creator God. So I pray you would just move that person to one of us to speak about good news of forgiveness and salvation and adoption through a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen. Listen, dear folks, thank you for coming. If you're one of these people who wants to talk more about the Lord Jesus, we stay right up here as everyone takes leave. We would love to chat with you for as long as you'd like. Blessings to you. Really, really great to be back with you. Mm.